2021. We are thankful to be in the Lord's house today. I know that uh, some folks are struggling, and uh, I can't imagine a day spent completely celebrating uh, everything that has to do with man. I, I'm thankful that God gave us his son, aren't you? And I'm just thankful today that I can come off. I'm, I'm thankful God didn't, I'd have to spend a whole day in drugs. I'd have to spend a whole day in alcohol. Isn't that what the world does? They celebrate through those things. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to celebrate and try to forget. And I'm thankful that I don't have to forget. I want to remember what God is doing for me. So praise God. Turn your hymn books to page number 434. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, page number 434. stand together for a word of prayer. Brother Edwin, would you lead us in a word of prayer, prayer this morning? Amen. If you stay standing and turn to page number 432. 432. 
seated. Thank you so much for being here today. I know a lot of people had a long day yesterday, spending time with family and friends, but I'm thankful that you're rejoicing today and worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'll tell you what, sometimes it gets to a point where you see the world turning and going against what God wants us to do. But you know what? As I'm going to preach about today, today is the day that we need to be serving Jesus more than ever. Uh, there is more, no better time to serve God than now. And uh, as the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. And uh, don't look at the world around you. Don't be like Peter and look at the waves and say, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can keep going on. No, just keep looking at Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Not ourselves, not the world, praise God. Oh, boy, good. Can you imagine that? But you know what? Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So I just want to again praise God for what he's doing in each individual's life here today. Now again, we have some announcements. Please keep in mind, Cassie has a special Bible study, virtual Bible study that's online. The book is about $7. So if you're interested, please talk to Sister Cassie. And let me encourage you. As you are uh, going through this life, and especially ladies, I know that there are times when you get discouraged, you get downhearted. Uh, you say, well, Pastor, I'm just struggling here. Well, listen, you need more time in the Word of God and with other sisters in Christ. So let me encourage you to be a part of this. This is a good time, a good time to learn, a good time to be able to have God a part of your life, especially in this day and age. Then we also have a January 2nd potluck. If you're interested, make sure you bring some meals and bring an extra just for somebody else. Uh, we'd like to have a good time of fellowship. Someone came to me and says, well, why don't we just do that every fifth Sunday? I said, no, 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 no. We can't do it every fifth Sunday, right, honey? You know why? 
because we need fellowship, don't we? We need fellowship with each other. So I just want to continue uh, to keep that going. Then January 16th is the business meeting. I encourage you, please come out for that. It's going to be a very important one. Not that the rest of them are not important, but this is the beginning of the year. And so we're looking forward to see what the church can plan to really be a outreach in the community this year. So please be a part of that. And then January 30th, if you're a member of Garfield Ridge Baptist Church, um, please come out to our Lord's Supper. Uh, that is in the uh, evening service. Um, but that's about it. Do a couple things I have uh, asked for prayer for. Uh, Jesse and Lorraine, if you'd continue to pray for them. Uh, they're going through uh, that COVID. So just keep praying for him. I don't know if Jesse has it, but I know for sure Lorraine does. Just pray for her as she's struggling with it. And I know it's uh, not the easiest thing to go through. And I just pray the Lord uh, be uh, merciful to them in this situation and that they be able to recover quickly. Granny B as well. Thank you, Oscar. Pray for her. She's out of the hospital though, right? Okay. Pray for Granny B. Uh, we're excited to hear that, but continue to pray for these folks. Um, excitement. I'm, uh, next week, my, my father's coming to town, uh, December 28th. So we're looking forward to him coming and being a part of this, uh, helping us out a little bit. Uh, we had some exciting news this last week. We called our, our movers and said, hey, we've got the date. Are you ready? And they're like, oh, sorry, we don't work on Mondays. So we're now in the, in the midst of the Lord trying to make things work, work things out for us. But uh, we're, they might. We'll see what happens. But uh, pray for that as well. All right, let's sing one more song before the evening service, and let's, our morning service. Let's turn together and stand together, 426. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, page number 426. interesting thing about this song Henry Longworth uh, I'm sorry Henry uh, Longfellow uh, was a very interesting character 
um, during the years of the Civil War. Actually, he, this man taught at Harvard. Uh, he was a very well-respected individual when it came to literature and uh, was very, very well-educated. Uh, but during the Civil War, uh, his son was, was literally shot and almost killed. And uh, the thing is, he recovered. And through this time is when he wrote this song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You read the third verse, verse, it says, In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong. And mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I can't imagine what he was going through as he knew what was right. He knew it was happening. He knew the civil war was happening. He knew that there was something that needed to be changed. And yet men were dying left and right because they didn't want to do right. And I think it's interesting that this song kind of exemplifies how every Christian should be. Don't look at the world's killing. I mean, we see it all around us, don't we? We see a constant display of the evil of Satan in people's lives. But listen to me. God has given us much more to look at, and that is his word, praise God. Do you believe his word? Do you want to rest in his word? Do you realize that he is coming again? And do you realize he's going to be looking for those that are faithful? Boy, I tell you what, it should get you excited about God's return. Amen. All right. If you're part of Sister Lene's Sunday school class, please go downstairs. What's that? Oh, there's an anniversary? Whose? Whose anniversary? I'm just kidding. I knew that. I just tease her. Well, I can't lead the song. Someone's going to have to come up here. Oscar, you're going to have to come up here and do this. I sing happy anniversary to myself, huh? Huh? You don't know the song? All right. Well, you know what? Happy anniversary to us. You don't have to sing to us. Uh, it's been 17 years this, uh, the 28th. So uh, we're uh, thankful for what the Lord has done in our lives. And uh, keep moving forward. Amen. Uh, she, she uh, I was teasing her. I knew it was our anniversary. Uh, I'd be in big trouble if I didn't, wouldn't I? But uh, that's the nice thing about having church, right? If you, if you forget your anniversary, everybody will remind you. Amen. Portillo's? I don't know, brother. Uh, we did go out. Uh, if you notice, we did get the junk trailer out here. Uh, we came out here on Christmas Eve and got all that taken care of. So we're excited about that. Uh, it was. It was. We did go to Portillo's then, but we had. We did. We took along Nolan, so uh, it wasn't really a true date. So, but my dad is coming out, so we're gonna have to find me and the wife gonna have to find some time to go out and have a a real date. You know, six kids. It's gonna be. Uh, it's a different uh, story. But I'm thankful for Chloe. Uh, she has been uh, quite a, it's a privilege to have an older young person who is taking responsibility. Amen, Brooklyn? She's going to take that role here soon. Um, but uh, she's 13 years old, and uh, yeah, I was telling Brother Edwin just this Christmas, I gave her a purity ring. You say, what's a purity ring, Pastor? It's a promise between me and her and God that she's going to keep pure until she gets married. I put that on her finger yesterday, and I says, look, this is a promise. Do you believe, can you do, do you think through Jesus Christ you can do this? And she nod her head, Daddy, I will. So pray for Chloe. She's got a responsibility before God to stay pure. And uh, you say, in this day and age, Pastor? Yes, this day and age, you can stay pure. You just have to be faithful to God. I'll be honest with you, it's hard. It is hard. Amen. 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 It is hard. You can look around and you can say, boy, Pastor, how can a young person do that? They can. They can. I can tell you this one thing, and I talk about my anniversary. 
I've been married for 17 years, and I've told one woman my entire life that I loved her. One woman. I've only had been in a relationship, a physical relationship with one woman. I've only kissed one woman. Well, she's not uh, dating her, so praise God, amen? Yeah, my mom and my sister, yes, I've given them a kiss, but that's a different story, right? It's, yes, it's not under the type of, same type of affection. But uh, I'm thankful, only one woman that I've ever touched. That is what I want for my kids. And I told my daughters that, yes, or Chloe, that yesterday, right? Went to Speedway, picked up some Diet Coke, shame on me. Um, picked up some Diet Coke, and, and uh, we were talking about what she can have through Jesus Christ. And it's a good thing. So, all right, enough of that. Uh, turn your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter. This is title of this message is quite bizarre, but I think it kind of adds and lends to a great illustration. Title of this message is putting an addition to your Christian house. Putting on an addition to your Christian house. And we're in First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. Hey, brother Willie, good to see you. Good to see you, Sylvia. Good to see you. God bless you. First uh, Peter chapter two, verse one. We're not getting sound back there, brothers? Close that door there for me, Dan. Everything okay back there, Sam? Okay, just checking. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious... To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, that he may believe on him that shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builder disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evil do doers, they may by your good works, which shall, they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that we are just here sinners, saved by your grace. Lord, there's nothing special about us except for the fact, Lord, that your son did die on the cross for our sins. And through that death on the cross, Lord, we have the blood that covers us. Lord, today we can know for sure that we're on our way to heaven. Today we can know for sure, Lord, that our uh, grace is sufficient for us. 
And Lord, I just ask you today that you'd please minister grace to the hearers. I pray that you'd give people that are sick and out, Lord, I think of uh, Sister Lorraine and Brother Jesse. God, give them grace. Lord, I know it's a struggle, and I just pray that you just help them. I also ask you, Heavenly Father, you'd be with Granny B. Lord, please resurrect her, and Lord, help her get to feeling better. I also ask you, Heavenly Father, that you just give grace, Lord, to us as we uh, try to start into this new year of 2022, God. Help us to make resolutions to go forward, to be faithful. Help us not to neglect the very essence of your word and neglect the essence of your church. Lord, I pray that you just bless today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you folks have gotten sick of me talking about my six children already, but I think it's another illustration that I need to talk about today. Uh, so recently, not too long ago, we had decided that we were thinking about putting an addition onto our house. Um, if you come over to our house, you'll see that we are packed in like sardines. Uh, got five girls in one bedroom. And when Nolan came along, uh, we didn't want the baby to be wet, woken up. So we basically put everybody in one bedroom and Nolan in the other. And uh, we also had uh, two bathrooms, praise God. And I just thought, boy, the dining room's getting, we got this huge table. And everybody that came to look at our house, they would look at the table and say, that doesn't look like it fits. And my wife wanted to say, yes, but we have six kids. We have to have this table. But the funny thing is, is we decided one day we were, we were talking about it and we were thinking about putting an addition onto the house. And as I thought about it, I said, well, that sounds like a great idea. So I started looking into it. And the interesting thing about putting an addition on the house, it's not just like you can put up a porch or something of that nature. You have to have everything, all your ducks in a row. You have to make sure your electrical is right. You have to make sure that the foundation is correct. You have to make sure that the uh, structure is in code. And you have to make sure that you're not going to be causing problems with the neighbors. And so they ask you to put in a building permit. And they ask you to do all these certain things. And I, I got to thinking about the importance of that, that additional structure. And I started to think about our own Christian lives. Sometimes Christians get satisfied with how they're living. They don't want to build on. They don't want to keep getting better. Instead, what do they do? They stay stagnant. They want to sit still. The problem is, is that in your Christian life, if you sit stagnant and you don't move forward, listen to me, you'll start to move backwards. There will be no desire. The Bible is very clear that there's a still small voice that speaks to us. I believe it's in Isaiah that talks about this, but there's a still small voice that speaks to us. And we ignore that still small voice and we keep going after our own flesh. Eventually what's going to happen is that still small voice is going to get even smaller and smaller and smaller. And what happens is, especially for the Christian, we run into something called God's judgment. And eventually God has to chastise us. He has to punish us. Just like he did the children of Israel. What was the, the cycle the children of Israel went through? They would start out with a very basic, uh, oh, we need to be serving God. And so they would do that for a while. And then they'd forget about God. And they'd start putting up their own idols. And before or after the idols were put up, what would happen? The judgment of God would come. And they would have to deal with God's judgment for a period of time. And then that, after that judgment, enough people would turn back to God and say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive us. We don't want this in our, in our, in our kingdom anymore. And so God would come along and he would send the judges in. And the judges would come in and they would, uh, uh, they would eliminate the problem, whether it be uh, another co country or it be uh, uh, someone from the Philistine camp, wherever it may be, that judge would come in and he would eliminate that problem. And the people would have peace and prosperity until they started to turn their back on God again. 
Listen, Christian, today we're no different. There's a lot of Christians who recognize the judgment of God. They recognize that God has been dealing with them in a certain way, and yet they ignore him until something bad happens. It's interesting to me that I found that a lot of young people have gotten to this point in their lives. I've seen it in my own Christian life. I've seen it in uh, the kids that I grew up with. Uh, it seems like, as Brother Edwin was sharing with me earlier, about some of his, his follies of youth, right? It wasn't until he realized, man, I need something more than this, that he finally came to that conclusion, yes, God is a part of that. I remember when we first started the church over on Richmond Street, over in uh, Brighton Park, and I remember there was these young people that would come to our church, and they were my age, and it was before they had graduated from high school, and boy, it was exciting. We could work with them. And, but when they became college age, eventually what did they do? They went to college, and they became um, engrossed with the world's philosophies. And before long, they were no longer coming to church, but they were basically abandoning the things of God, and they went and lived their own lifestyle. Albeit it was encouraging, 15, 20 years later, they came back to church. Why? Because their lives were not fulfilling them. They didn't feel like they were getting taken care of, and they knew the only place that they would get that fulfillment is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so they'd come back to church, and they'd be a part of it. You say the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I truly believe if your children are saved, and they know God, eventually they'll come back. There comes a point in time when they realize the best thing they ever had in their life was the church, was Christ. You say, Pastor, is that happening? No, because a lot of times the church is not being what it should be. A lot of times the church has neglected helping people, neglecting, encouraging people. A lot of times they scare them away and say, no, you can't do that, you can't do this. Listen, we're just sinners here. We're just sinners and saved by God's grace. And yes, people do wrong. And yes, people are not always doing the right thing. But we got to encourage each other. People come along that have been living in sin and, and saying, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I've just messed up. Can you help me? Don't deny them. Look at them and say, hey, let me encourage you. Let me show you how you can get back on the right footing with Jesus Christ. I tell you, sometimes it's discouraging to see how many preachers have ignored the very essence of of what God tells us to do, and that is to forgive and to be patient. Patience, the Bible says, is an important virtue. And you know what? Patience is no different with the Christian person. We are all works. I remember a song that we used to sing when we were kids. It was called, Still under construction, the Lord is not... Forgive me if I can't remember all the words, but Lord is not done working with me yet. Something like that. It's been a long go. Third grade, so that tells you how long it was. But you know what? I remember that song, and boy, it's just made sense to me. Boy, we're still under construction. Praise God. It won't be until we get to heaven that we'll be able to be perfect before the, uh, the throne of Christ. But let me tell you something. We shouldn't stop trying to go further. We shouldn't stop trying to increase our Christian walk. Some Christians, and I am so so excited for some of you. I see you guys taking some great leaps of faith. I see you taking some steps of faith and say, boy, I know this is the right direction that God wants me to go. I realize this is where God wants me to be. And boy, I'm so excited for you. Others I see who have made great strides in their faith have gotten comfortable with their accomplishments. As they sit there, they become stagnant. Let me tell you today, you need to start building an addition to your spiritual house. 
You need to start growing more. Don't just stop and say, this is enough. God wants you to go further. God wants you to make decisions that are based more than out of your comfort zone. God wants you to say, listen, I know this is hard. I know this is tough. As I was thinking about what I was going to preach for the message this morning, I, I thought, you know, what, am, what, what can I talk to the people about? And a lot of times the things that I talk about are directly dealing with me. One of the things that kind of hit me hard is the hard things in life as a Christian that you have to work at and deal with. Every Christian knows what they are. If I told you there's a hard thing that you need to do by faith, you would say in the back of your head, I know exactly what he's saying. And for everyone, it might be different. It might be faithfulness. It might be giving. It might be soul winning. I don't know what it is. God has asked you to do something, and you know it's hard. You know you can't do it. You know the only way that you can get through it is if you only put your faith and trust in God to help you with it. But you know what I'm talking about. And it's that point that I want to encourage you today, folks. I want you to take these little things that I'm going to give you. It's all dealing with the construction, all dealing with the ideas of building on and dealing with that in a right way. First of all, I want you to mention something today that every Christian should have, and that is you need to start with the right foundation. Um, did, when I went out to California about two years ago, I had to go out for company training and went to Los Angeles. And here I am, you know, I'm a flatlander. I saw the beautiful mountains. But you know what was missing, Edwin? You know what was missing, Willie, in California? The skyscrapers. And I always, like, wondered why. Uh, so I asked the local. My instructor, his name is Ben. He was one of those guys who talked like this, man. That's how he talks all the time. He was the old surfer boy, you know. He's like, man, there's earthquakes out here, man. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I thought about this idea of an earthquake. And, and in California, you don't see that because, listen, if you build a huge skyscraper, it'll fall, won't it? Because those earthquakes will, will bend and flex it. And eventually, before long, that, that uh, building will come down. It's very expensive to build an earthquake building. There's a certain level, I don't remember what it is, forgive me, but there's a certain level that you can only build so far in California, and that's because of the earthquakes. In your own Christian life, there's an important part of the foundation that you build on. Now, I, I, I would say that out of a group of this number, there's most of you folks have professed Christ as your Savior, but maybe there's a couple still that are struggling with that decision. Let me tell you something. There's nothing better than building on the right foundation. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6 says, Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Listen, we have a great foundation. He is the cornerstone. He is the head of everything that we have in our lives, and that is Jesus Christ. If you don't know what kind of foundation you're building on, listen to me. I encourage you, I implore you to look at your own life and say, am I building it on my fleshly desires, my fleshly wants? Now listen to me, I am excited for you. If you come to this church and say, Pastor, I've been just struggling with uh, this decision, or maybe you don't know if you're saved or not, and you've been trying to get away from sin, listen to me, you're on a good path. You're on a good path. You say, what do you mean? The first step to coming and knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior is hating your sin. You don't love it. You don't want to be a part of it. 
Why do you see so many people that make false confessions? Is because they don't really truly hate their sin. When you are wrong before God and you know that God is holy and just and you're sick of your adulterous ways, you're sick of uh, your uncleanness, you're sick of your drugs, you're sick of your alcohol, you turn to it and say, God, I don't want this anymore. I want to turn to you. And so you give it up. Now you say, Pastor, you mean to tell me after all these years that I've dealt with my sin and dealt with my, my wicked thoughts and dealt with these things, how am I going to be able to turn from that? Well, listen to me, you first have to have that desire. It's called repentance. If you don't understand repentance, listen to me, you'll never truly know who God is. God is holy, the Bible says. God is just, but he's also loving. The Bible says that he doesn't want any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, God loves you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross. And I might preach this like a broken record, but I'm trying to tell you something. Listen, God never intended for us to die and go to hell. Instead, he wanted you to have a relationship with him. He wanted to give you something that you could never imagine on your own. I mentioned earlier today, uh, before we started the service, that we have what we call today a, a bunch of people who are celebrating a holiday and they have no idea what they're doing. They're celebrating a holiday that has nothing to do with them or anything else. It's all about selfishness. It's all about greed. It's all about something they want. And so what do they do? They go out and they drink and they party. They have a good time with family and friends. And sometimes they get up on the 26th and they got headaches because of hangovers. You say, why is that? Because it's all about them. Eventually, someday they wake up and say, there's more to life than this. There's more to life than this type of lifestyle. Maybe some of you are a young person in here and you go, your parents go to this church and you're faithfully going, listen to me. You don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to be a druggie. You don't have to be any of those. But you're still a sinner. At the age of 12, I never murdered someone. At the age of 12, I've never drank well. Did take a sip from my uncle's beer and never want to drink it again. At the age of 12, I wasn't in drugs. I wasn't in uh, rampant uh, uh, adultery or idolatry. No, I was a 12-year-old boy. And that was still enough for me to go to hell. The Bible says that I'm born a sinner. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so when I'm here today, listen to me, you need to build on the right foundation. There is no foundation but that of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, that foundation is important. See, listen... There's a lot of buildings that have been built on soft soil. And if they're built on soft soil, I'll guarantee you this, they will fail. How many of you ever heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? All right. A little history about Leaning Tower of Pisa. It was started in the 12th century, uh, but due to the soft ground, it couldn't properly su support the structure's weight. And so eventually over time, they had built it and that, 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 uh, that structure started to lean. At one point in, the, in 1990, it was at 5.5, again, I don't know the metric, cubic metrics off or something like that. And people were scared that it was literally going to fall. They evacuated people, the buildings around it. They uh, made people aware of it. They put up structural signs saying, hey, this structure is going to fall. Built in the 12th century. Then along came some really smart engineers, amen. They came along and they, they restored the structure. They balanced the weight. And before long, that same structure that was going to be destroyed, that foundation was secured. Listen, if you're that same person and you've been building it upon your own abilities, 
your own fleshly abilities, let me tell you something, you are going to fall and be destroyed. The sad thing is, is you're claiming Christ, but you're not really saved, is going to destroy others around you. If you're not truly saved and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, you might look good. You might have a nice building. And boy, that Leaning Tower of Pisa has, if you look at the pictures, I've never been there personally. But if you look at the pictures of it, boy, it is a beautiful building. It, has this, uh, it was built by the, the Catholics back in the day. It was just beautiful. Boy, it looks great. But because it was built on the wrong foundation, it was still banned for destruction. And your uh, ideology is not enough. Your good works is not enough. Listen to me. Your ideas of how you should live are not enough. My grandparents were good people. I say good in a very, very loose sense. They were moral people. They understood the values of, of marriage. They understood the values of getting your kids to go to college. They understood the values of raising them right. All of them are good people, moral people, but they don't know Christ. And listen to me, without Christ, we are on our way to an eternal hell. Without Christ, we have nothing. I look at my life and boy, I look at what God has done and I'm rejoicing. There is nothing I can say that I've done myself. It's only through Jesus. I look at my family. I look at my mom, my dad. It all started with my dad's decision to be faithful, to get saved. He put his faith and trust in Christ and repented of his sins. Listen, you can have that same thing today. Don't be like the leaning tower of Pisa and built it on the wrong things. The Bible says that Christ is the cornerstone. He is a sure foundation. The Bible says in Isaiah, if you ever wonder where this, it says here um, in verse Peter chapter 2, verse 6, it tells us wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures. You say, where is it contained in the scriptures? Part of the reason for canonization of the Bible is right here. We find in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. You see where Paul or Peter was talking about here? We find in Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. It's interesting that we have a God that is unmovable. He is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And listen to me, the winds of change are all about us. It's funny, we look at the day and age that we live in, and there's all kinds of different uh, sciences told us different things from here and on. And some of them are good things, and some of them have changed, right? One day they tell you coffee is just awful for you. And then two years down later, there's this study, oh, the coffee is the best thing for you, right? Uh, sometimes science changes, but listen to me, God stays the same. The world might want to change our God. Is he really our God if we have to change him? I don't think so. We need to follow the same God, the God of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16 tells us that. And then we also find Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets. And then he says well, this, Jesus Christ himself being the what? The chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God 
through the Spirit. Listen to me. If you don't have the foundation, the base foundation, which is Jesus Christ, listen to me. God's not any part of it. God has no part of you. You have to build upon the right foundation. Letter C. Not only should buildings be built on something that doesn't have soft soil, but you need to also realize buildings can't be built on guesses. Yeah, let's just say you went out to go out to, I don't know, if you guys had a car mechanic come out there or something of that nature. Brother Edwin, you like to cook, right? Are you, so what's your favorite? Lasagna. Lasagna, okay. Is, what's the, one of the ingredients you put in lasagna? Okay. Now some of them say a pinch of salt, right? And that's that, you know what it's talking about. Some of these guys are really good. I'm, I'm sure you are too, you know. Just throw that pinch of salt in there. And uh, let's just say uh, some guy comes along like I and... I'm not a very good cook, and I try, but I'm not good like some of you folks might be. And, and I go in there, and I say, I just make guesses. Now, some people, they understand the importance of a cookbook. Why? You get in that cookbook, you say, well, it says this, this, and this. And I'm going to follow that to the letter of the law. But some people are good enough. That they, oh, this makes sense. They can put it all together, and they can just throw things in there. But if it were like me, and I'd go in there, I'd make mistakes, wouldn't I? This is a pinch of salt. What is that? My pinch is a lot bigger than some other people. I'll throw that in there. By the time the lasagna gets done, Brother Edwin, it would, look disgust- it would taste disgusting. Why? Because I'm not a good cook. And listen to me, in your own Christian life, and as I was talking about the idea, the illustration of a building, listen to me, if you build your foundation on guesses, do you, do you think you know Jesus Christ? Do you have a no-so salvation or do you have a hope-so salvation? The Bible says what we can know. There is no doubt that you can know for sure today before you leave this building that you're on your way to heaven. You can know for sure without a shadow of doubt that God can keep you in his hands. Did I ever have a problem with my assurance? I sure did. I made professions of faith all the way up until I was in the third or fourth grade. And I remember, man, doing everything I could to keep praying. I remember coming forward. The preacher would preach a good message on uh, salvation. I would come forward. I'd make a decision. But I didn't understand it. It wasn't until one day when God finally, as I said earlier, convicted me of my sin. That I realized that I needed to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And on June, uh, June 6, 1992, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I remember when I bowed my head in my room. I remember asking my brother specifically, how do I know to be saved? Now, the funny thing is, I knew every scripture there was. But I wanted to know for sure. And I wasn't going to take any type of if, ands, or buts about it. I was going to take care of this problem today. And listen to me, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Secondly, not only should we build on the right foundation, but we need to sustain our addition by building with the right blueprints. Now, let me tell you something here. Some of you might disagree with me on this. And you read Dr. Spock and Dr. So-and-so. And and there's all kinds of ways to raise children and have a happy marriage and have all these different things, these self-help books. But listen to me. The only book that you really need is the Bible. It is the blueprint. It is the thing that's going to take care of your needs. And listen to me. If, if I had a guy that was working construction, he was a contractor, and he was out there just kind of winging it, I'd say, boy, there's a problem. I've seen some of these guys, uh, and uh, I've seen specifically some of these guys that are in the construction zone. Boy, they come out there, and they have these huge blueprints. Uh, recently, I've, one of my jobs is, is I put in x-ray machines at veterinarian uh, centers. 
as I go there and I look, they say, where is the, where is the x-ray machine going? And they'll bring out this huge blueprint and they'll roll it out on the desk. And they'll look in there and they can pinpoint exactly what needs to be done. And listen to me, if we're not in the word of God and we're not spending time in the blueprints that God has given us, listen to me, you're going to struggle to know what God wants to do in your life. There are so many points of importance that we have from God's word that we ignore every day because we're not in it. The Bible says that they search the scriptures daily. How many times have we gone a whole week with not being in God's word? How many times is the only food that you get, the only time you look at God's blueprints is when you come to church and you hear the preacher preach. And listen to me, I do my best. But it's not enough. It's not enough. You need to be in God's word daily. You need to be asking him for things. You need to be dealing with your sin and saying, God, please change me. Make me a better person. Every Christian needs to understand that you can't sustain yourself on your own opinions, not how mommy raised you, not how daddy raised you, but what God wants you to know. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, ye also as lively stones are built up as a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. You say, Pastor, how does this apply to me? Well, let me use an illustration. How many has ever built or did something in the city of Chicago? I'm sure, Edwin, you've done it a few times, right? Andrew, you have, right? What do you have to do if you're going to build or put something electrical in in the city of Chicago? You need a permit, right? City codes, right? I remember when I worked in solar, we would put these, um, they weren't very, a lot of them weren't very big because a lot of the houses weren't very huge. But we would have to have a master electrician come in and certify what we did. I would have to stand there. It's interesting because my job was to sit there with the inspector and present to him what we did with, with the system. I say, okay, here's this is a uh, AC system. These are PV uh, panels that are coming down. I come in, say there's AC coming into DC, and DC would convert into the inverters. And I explained where, what kind of gauge wire we would use. We'd show where the grounding was at. But we went through the whole thing. And at the very end, he would tell me if I passed or if I failed, right? Listen to me. Just like Chicago has a building code, we have a, bu we have a building code as well. Chicago's building code is one of the strictest building codes in the country. It's interesting because I didn't know this, that literally Chicago has written its own electrical code. There's one code that the rest of the nation goes by, but Chicago goes by its own. They are strict. And listen to me as I thought about this idea of a building code. The reason they put a building code into law is because they're trying to save other people from having problems. If you get Joe Blow out there just doing whatever he wants to do and he installs some cheap wiring or he puts in the wrong type of wiring or he installs it correctly, what's going to happen? That house is going to come burning down. You think about some of these high skyscrapers that we see. Those building codes are important because if those skyscrapers uh, fail, what happens? All the people around them are going to die. And listen, Christian, you have importance to understand that these fire hazards, these health hazards, these structural hazards are no different than your Christian life. If you build your foundation, of course, on Jesus Christ, but you try to build it with other things besides what God has given you. If he gives you the, if you get, take the wrong things to build up your spiritual house, listen to me, you're going to struggle and you're going to fail. 
So many Christians that I've seen that have taken this importance that God has given them and said, boy, I know God wants me to do this, but I'm going to try to do it on my own. I don't need help. I don't need encouragement. I'm not going to come to church. I'm not going to be faithful in these areas. And so listen to me. They try to do it all on their own. They don't need help. Eventually what happens is, is because they've, they've tried to do it all alone without Christ, without the church, without anybody else's help. And listen to me. I'm going to tell you something right now. You are not a lone ranger Christian. God has given you the church for a reason. The Bible says it's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And you have given the church to what? To encourage you and to help you and to bring you along. But when you disdain the church, when you abstain from it, and you say, I don't want anything to do with it right now. I've got my life full of what I want to do. Listen to me. You're going to come to a point where you're going to fail. And you're going to say, why, God? And God says, I've given you something, but you ignored it. God has a purpose. He has a code. He wants you to follow. We give every one of these building codes, they must make sure that they have the right types of material. As 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, my daddy used to preach this. He loved this passage. Well, he preached this for six months straight, every Sunday night. I'm telling you, I had this scripture memorized. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and giving, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten when he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if, these do, if ye do these things, ye shall never what? What does it say? Shall never what? I don't hear everybody. Shall never what? Fall. Boy, that is amazing. It's funny that we're talking about buildings here, aren't we? If you build with the right blocks, listen to me. The Bible says you will never fall. In this day and age when we see preachers that are dying by the, by the truckloads. We see uh, people who have been made professions of faith no longer give any type of obeisance to the things of God. You see people who are more interested in sports than they are of what God wants in their lives. You see more people interested in money than they see what God wants in their lives. They don't understand the first thing about sacrifice. Because why? They've built with different building blocks we find those building blocks in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 turn there Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these adultery fornication and cleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envyings murders drunkenness revelings and such like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a strong indicator here that God does not want us to build with our own building blocks. You build in the flesh, you'll get flesh. You build in the spirit, you'll get the spirit. Listen, Christian, we see a, a, a falling away today of the things of God. And I, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. God has given us these purposes in our lives, and I'm here to encourage you. Look at what God's given you. 
there's been times when I've tried to use the wrong tool for the wrong job. My wife knows, and so do my daughters, that I love tools. Tools are my thing. Some people like to collect baseball cards. I like to collect tools. And I'll have every tool for any job. And I remember one time trying, and the reason I got like that is I tried to use the wrong type of wrench on the wrong type of nut. When I was a kid, my dad told me one day, we had this old 1987 Chevy Celebrity Wagon. The thing was so beaten up, it had 287,000 miles on it. Amen, Oscar? Praise God for high mileage cars. Amen? I remember when we were, we were, we didn't have any money in the ministry. I remember my dad getting the car out, and it had rust holes. Brother, it had rust holes like this big on the car. I remember getting that car out, and, and Dad says, all right, son, we're going to get this thing to look good again. We can't be a poor uh, testimony for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he got out a grinder. We grinded all those rust holes. We grinded them off, and then we took Rust-Oleum paint and painted the whole car. Boy, it looked like a million bucks when we got done. Well, we were excited. You probably remember that old car, don't you, Oscar, the white celebrity? We kept, we kept that car. I traveled back and forth from Chicago to India. That car had like 350,000 miles by the time it was done. You want to talk about the Israelites' uh, shoes never getting old? That's what that car was to us. And I remember my dad saying one day, son, you're going to learn how to work on a vehicle. And so he pulls this car out. And he says, son, you need to work on the brakes. Now, as a kid, I was like, wait a minute, Dad, you want me to work on this all by myself? Said, yeah, I do. And he gave me a Haynes manual. He says, here, here you go, figure it out. Boy, I tell you what, I was sweating. I was like, what, am, what if I mess up? And guess what? I did. I remember taking that wrench out and stripping one of the bolts right off. Of course, everything was rusted. Didn't matter how much uh, WD-40 you put on those bolts. Boy, I ripped them right off. And Oh, man. I went and told Dad, Dad, I messed up. All right, son. He says, there's a hardware store that's got bolts. And it was over here by the Schwinn. I don't know. If you go down Archer Avenue, there's a Schwinn uh, bicycle shop. And I remember there was a hardware store right in there. There was not Home Depots. This is back in the 90s when they didn't have Home Depots. There was only Ace Hardware. I remember taking my bicycle and just driving. He didn't even let me take the other car. He says, take your bicycle and go get one. I rolled my bicycle down the street and grabbed me another one. I thought, I'm never going to use the wrong tool again for the job. Now listen, Christian, as you look at your Christian life and you say, how many times am I using the wrong tool? Galatians is full of Paul's exhortation to the Galatians saying, listen, quit using the wrong tool for the wrong job or for the job. Use the right tools that, I've, that God has given you. Don't give up on what you're doing. Don't get discouraged because of your failure, because the reason you're failing is because you're looking to yourself and using the wrong tools. God has a purpose, he has a plan, he has a place, he's got a building code, and he says, listen to me, if you follow these, you shall never fall. Fall. Put that right addition on. Lastly, not only is your Christian life must be built with materials subscribed to the word of God, but lastly, standardize your life with faithfulness. You've got the right foundation, right? You've got the right materials, what do you have left? Everybody knows how this is, right? You hire a contractor. And you say, how long will this take? Ah, a couple weeks. You have a contractor come out and he doesn't get it done. You wait on him. You wait on him. You wait on him. Finally, you say, forget it. I'll get somebody else. And faithfulness is an important part of building. If you don't, if you're not faithful in the things that God's given you to do, how can you ever expect to see the job finished? And this goes for everything in your life. Every little thing boils to faithfulness. Listen, 
I know I've not been perfect in this. I've failed in being faithful. And I have to ask the Lord daily, God, forgive me. I need help with this. Because in my flesh, everything screams, quit. Everything says, and my flesh tells me, don't do it. Don't have to do it. This is too hard. Quit. Uh, We have the famous Michael Jordan. You that are basketball fans. And this, from this city. And Michael Jordan was by far one of the best players in basketball. Some people could differ on that opinion. The interesting thing about Michael Jordan was is he was a not a quitter. And we know what happened to Michael Jordan when he was in high school. Michael Jordan in high school was benched. He didn't even make it to the varsity team. And then after that, he said, took it to his dad. He says, Dad, I'm going to keep being faithful. Every day he'd go outside and he'd keep shooting hoops, keep shooting hoops, keep shooting hoops. He kept practicing and practicing. And we know what happened. He went on to finish high school and got drafted by North Carolina. Won the champions into North Carolina and had six championships with the Chicago Bulls. Now, Michael Jordan is not a man to lift up. But it's simple to understand one thing. He was faithful to basketball. And listen, Christian, if you want to be a success in the Christian life, you need to be faithful to what God has given you to do. God has never expected us to quit when the going gets tough. You look at Peter. What happened with Peter? Peter looked at the wave. He gave up as soon as the wave came. Boy, the destruction came. Boy, he wanted to stop. Listen, God doesn't want us to quit. That's when it comes to the other side. I was just to a pastor the other day. I was so encouraged to hear this. He says that when he was in that moment of discouragement, when he was in that moment of saying, I can't do this anymore, when he was ready to quit, he stuck through it. It was interesting after that moment that God started opening up doors for him on the other side. See, Satan knows. He knows he's got you by the tail. He knows that he can stop you at any moment with that strange tool of discouragement. He wants you to stop. He wants you to give up. He wants to take your life and he wants to give you a, uh, uh, the opposite of a pep rally. He wants to discourage you to the point where you say, I've had enough. At that moment, you have to say, God, I need your help now more than ever. Cry out to him and say, God, I can't do this. God, this is your job, not mine. Please help. And God, through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, he will give you the grace you need to move forward. Most Christians neglect the building blocks of faith. And listen, I'm going to give you a a few pointers and then I'm done. First of all, the things that are neglected, and this is what I notice a lot. Most Christians neglect this. Number one is their devotion to God. You say, what is devotion to God? Well, I'm going to give it in three things. Worship, giving, and fellowship. Worship, giving, and fellowship. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk word that ye may grow, grow thereby. That sincere milk of the word is talking about what? The basic substance of your growth. We talk about babies, right? They need milk to grow. It's no different with you. You need the food to grow. If you quit having that time in the word of God, if you quit having your devotions, if you quit time, spending time in prayer, you can guarantee this, that your spiritual life will stay stunted and it will never get any better. You'll lose victories. You'll be defeated. And of course, who wants to live a defeated life? 
You don't see people getting up that do self-help books and say, hey, I can show you how to continue to be defeated. Most people would say, why is he even up here? But instead, they get up and they say, let me, let me show you how you can have what? Victory. And in your Christian life, it's no different when you abandon the devotion that God has given you. And that starts with worship. Maybe you say, Pastor, it's, I have to get up too early. Do it at night. There's no law that says you have to do it in the morning. Maybe do it on your lunch hour. Find some time to say these are God's time to have worship. Don't neglect it. Number two. The second thing that I found is giving. Now you say, Pastor, are you here to make money? No. I grew up in the ministry. I know I'm, that's stupid. But I'll tell you this much. I have been blessed from giving my entire life. I've seen what it's like not to give. and I know what it's like to give. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, that there shall be room not, not be room enough to receive it. And this is the verse that I want you to remind yourself in verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now you say, Pastor, what does that mean? It literally means that your struggles could be due to the fact of your disobedience. I'll tell you this much. I've seen God bless my family, not just me, but my brother as well. My brother just this week paid off a $320,000 mortgage. He's only two years older than me. You say, what in the world? How does he do that? He's got the same high school education as I do. He's got the same college education that I do. And you say, how did he do that? God blessed him. He gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. And not only did he just give to the church, but he would give to others. Boy, he's been such a huge blessing to me. He's been huge blessings to anybody he comes in contact. He just wants to give. Why? Because he realizes that's the basis of what God has done for us. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If we don't have this understanding of giving down, we don't understand who God is. God never intended for us to walk back and just keep everything to ourselves. God expects us to give. The Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a what? Cheerful giver. Now, I preach this not because I want people to give to the church. I preach this because I want people to recognize that God has a powerful plan for your life. And some of that plan requires you to do some actions on your behalf. There are building blocks that are included. I'm not here to preach a prosperity gospel. No, I'm here to preach that God has a power that is beyond any other. You say, Pastor, are you trying to tell me that your brother paid that mortgage off because he gave? No, he paid that mortgage off because God blessed him for obedience. It's not just giving. He surrendered his life to God. He went out to Washington State with no support. He went out there and was faithful to the God for 14 years. And he kept doing what God wanted him to do. And now that church is starting to grow and God is blessing. And not only one church planted, but there's a second church going. And you say, why is that? It's because God has been so good to him and he has blessed his obedience. Sad to say, many Christians have ignored this basic principle of Christianity. 
they have given over themselves to what Satan says and they've been selfish and they've give, they don't give and if they do give, they give grudgingly and they don't want to give because they love themselves. It used to be that churches got together and boy, they built buildings like this. You think that building was cheap? From what I understand, it was like $70,000 in, in 1962. It's a lot of money back then. How did they do it? Because people had an understanding of giving. They understood what was important. I'll tell a little story on myself, and I've told a little bit about how God has worked in my life. There came a point when I was first married. Chloe was about three, and Brooklyn was still a crumb cruncher. She was still crawling. And I remember I was dirt poor. I remember having no money whatsoever. We had that house over on Dombey Road in Portage, and I couldn't even barely afford that. And I remember that day very specifically when I had to move my family into my parents' house. And I lived in a little apartment that was not finished. It was so bad that Brooklyn got lead poisoning because it was halfway constructed. We took and put plastic along the walls. It was so drafty, you could see the uh, space in between the boards. Being so discouraged. As a man that understands the responsibility that he has to provide for his family, I understood that. It was so hard, and I'm thankful for a wife who put herself through that and gave me grace during that time. I didn't give right. Oh, maybe I gave, but I didn't give correctly. Not what God wanted me to give. I remember, I think I've told this testimony before. I was working two jobs. I was working, collecting data for a company, and they paid me peanuts, and I worked for Pizza Hut. And I used everything I had. I remember my wife telling me years later because she was afraid to tell me about our finances. When we, before we had moved, she says, I don't know how we were going to make it. We're going to lose the house. It was a really scary time for her. The good thing is, is my wife was, and the bad thing, my wife was so willing not that I have to deal with that kind of stress, she didn't tell me about it. Now, two years later, after we went through all of it, I remember God impressing on my heart, Harold, not only do I want you to give, tithe off of the money that you make from EBIZ, but I want you to tithe off of your tips, too. Well, wait a minute, God, that's my tips. That's the money I make. I remember God telling me that. I said, okay, God, that's what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be faithful. Wouldn't you believe it? Within two months, I got a job working for a secondary contractor or for another dealership making double what I was making with eBiz. I could quit Pizza Hut. And I give credit that to God. I credit that to what God had done in my life. And it just kept growing from there. And I just kept giving like God wanted me to give. And I'm thankful for that. God has given me so many more better jobs and responsibilities. I look back and I say, wow, I see how God has directed me. I see how God has blessed me. I see how God has taken me from this point to this point. And I say, hallelujah. Amen. Now that is a testimony that God has given me. How about you? Have you tested God by faith? Have you said, God, this is what I know I need to do? Secondly, or thirdly, the third thing that most Christians 
forget to do in their building blocks of faith is fellowship. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke one another provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as they see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Listen to me. I do think this is such an important part of the Christian life. I don't know how you can avoid it. Faithfulness to church is an important part of your Christian life. You say, Pastor, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. No, I believe it. I believe it since I was a little boy. And I've given testimony when I did, didn't obey it and how miserable I felt. It's interesting that I found that my entire life, I've always had a consistency in church. And even when I was off doing my own thing and not living in the spirit, I could see God bringing me back because I had people in the church praying for me and helping me. Listen. We have three services a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Thursday. Thank you, Oscar. Each of those services are not something that God just says, well, that's enough. You've had enough church for the week. This should be fine. But God gave us the ability for a pastor to lead, and it's always been like that. The Bible says here in Hebrews, and I asked my daddy this because I was kind of concerned that Wednesday, Thursday night was not a biblical night. <laughs> The Bible says here, it says, not forsaking, verse 25 of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, not forsaking the sin of ourselves together, some, together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as what? You see the day approaching. Can you tell me that the day is approaching? You think it's more approaching than in Paul's day? <laughs> sure do. Listen, there is a time where anymore you need encouragement. You need fellowship from your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need people to hear your needs. I'm surprised that there's, when we put out prayer request times on Thursday nights, that I get maybe one response or maybe two responses. Listen to me. I hope every one of you flood that thing. And you're here on Thursday nights to pray for everybody else. This is something God has given us. This is a building block of faith. You say, Pastor, I'm tired on Thursday nights. I'm, I've had a, a long day on Sunday mornings. I, I can't come back on Sunday night. Listen to me. Just try, God. You think he can give you the energy? He can. He can give you the grace? He can. You just got to try him. See what God can do. Prove him, wherewith saith the Lord. Find a way to make faithfulness an important part of your fellowship. And if you find faithfulness, God will show you how he can bless. You need more of the church, not less. You need more of God. How much time do you spend out in the world? How much time do you have to spend with people who hate God and don't love God? It should be that the church is a big place in your life. I used to go, when I was a kid, my dad would have us in church basically seven days a week. We went to school there. I went to ministries on Saturdays. I had church on Sunday. I had church on Thursday nights. We were there every day of the week, basically. I basically got preached at every day of the week. You kids that are in public school, listen to me. Or if you send your kids to public school, listen to me. Your kids need more of church. They really do. They need to be around people that love God, people that care about the things of God. If they're spending 40 hours a week with public school, guess what? They're getting fed things that are against the will of God. 
oh, maybe they got some good things on math and science, and I'm not neglecting that. But what I'm telling you is, if you think it's good enough just to give them the one church service a week, I'll guarantee you this, they're not getting enough. You need to be faithful and bring them to church. Show them the importance. Bring them along. I know this is not popular. But God has laid this on my heart, and I do think it's important. I wouldn't preach it unless I thought this church needs it. So there's some nights I come in here on a Thursday night, and sometimes people are not here. Nobody. It's not uncommon to preach to my family, which is fine with me. But I do think God wants this church to be together on this simple thing. It's interesting, even in the Southern Baptist Church when I grew up, and Southern Baptists, believe me, they've eradicated convictions and standards in a lot of areas. But even in the Southern Baptist Church, a lot of them didn't have depth, but they knew it was important to be a church on a week service. They knew it was important to be church on Sunday night. Why? Because it was important to them. Don't abandon the will of God for your life. Know God has a building block for you to keep growing. These sermons that I preach on a Sunday night and on a Thursday night are not because I just want to preach at myself. I preach them because I want to help the church. Lastly, we're done. We need to have devotion to others. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know not no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Listen, Christian, as you're dealing with sin, there is one thing that a building block will always bring to you. And that is the importance of helping your brother and sister in Christ. Don't ignore it. It's important. The Bible tells us that sowing discord among the brothers is one of the things that God hates. If you don't love your brother, you're not going to help him. If you don't love your brother, you're not going to encourage him. If you're not going to love your brother, you're not going to find ways to be with him. Why? Because you're stuck on yourself. Letter B, give to others. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to be remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Luke 6 verse 38, it says, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For the same measure with ye meet, wherewithal it shall be measured to you again. Give to others. You see somebody in need? Help them. Encourage them. Find a way to be a blessing. And lastly, encourage others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men. Now, I'm not going to belabor the point any longer. I do think God has given us each of each other to each other. What has God given me? God has given me the job to preach. But listen to me, that's not my only job. My job is to encourage. And it should not be just the pastor's job. It should be everybody's job. Your job is to encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ. Are there people here missing today? Yes, there are. How many is concerned enough to give him a phone call? Say, how are you doing, brother? Can I encourage you? 
I was thinking, Brother Edwin called me this week and told me the good news. I was excited about that. That's exciting. Uh, Granny B, call Oscar and tell her she's in the hospital. Call me and she's in the hospital. Listen, we need that love for each other. If we don't have that, what are we? We're no different than the world. The world's all about themselves, what they want, what they want to do. Listen, we need to be in tune with God. And what is that? Jesus, others, you. Okay? All right. Let's stand together. We'll have a short invitation. Again, if God spoke to your heart, this altar is open, your seat is open, you make a decision. I'm not here to preach down your throat. I just want the Holy Spirit to give you what I know to be true, what the Bible has taught me. If you have questions, feel free to come talk to me. I'm, I'm open. The Bible tells that I should be apt to teach, given to hospitality. It's what I want to be. And you're struggling with a decision, you need to be accountable, let me know. I'll help you. All right, Gloria. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you just bless this invitation. May your hand of mercy be on each of us. Lord, we all make decisions that sometimes are effective uh, towards our own selfishness. But Lord, let us make a decision today that says, I'm thinking of only one person. That is what Christ wants me to do. Lord, help us to change in Jesus' name. God spoke to your heart. You come.